Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. Got a couple uh, special guests with me today. We're going to concentrate here a lot on that unfortunate story that just won't go away. It's it's a deflate gate day, but uh, we're going to really dive into sort of how this appeals process is going to work for Tom Brady and a little bit of sort of the litigation options he might have after that. I uh, got a couple guys here on the line I want to introduce you to. First and foremost, Ben Lieber, uh, former linebacker, guy played against, guy that's from South Dakota for part of his life. His big brother, Jason, was my running back as a coyote. Ben played in the NFL for years as a linebacker, played for the Chargers, played for the Vikings. What's up, Ben? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. Thanks for having me on. No worries, buddy. Uh, and on the other end of this, we've got uh, a special guest here, a guy that can give us a little of this sort of uh, legal expertise, Michael McCann. Now, Michael is a UNH Director of Sports and Entertainment Law Institute. He's a writer and legal analyst for Sports Illustrated, works for SI.com. Going to be able to give us a little insight that neither of the two jocks on here <laughs> would be able to give. So, hey, Mike, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Matt, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, we know you've got some stuff to do. You've got to run here in about 10 minutes, so we want to dive right into this. We wanted to get into sort of your expertise, understanding exactly how this appeals process is going to play out, most likely, and a little bit of the, of the litigation options that might be available to, to Tom Brady in the, in the event that he chooses to go that route. Now, I read your, your article on SI.com. It actually came out much earlier in this process. I think some of what you predicted there has sort of bore itself out. The Patriots have peeled away, and they're not pursuing uh, legal action at all. Uh, but Tom's still up. He's got the appeal filed. If anything, Mike, just could you please get into us to really spell out exactly what this appeals process at the league level will be? Sure. So what Tom Brady has filed an appeal through the National Football League Players Association, as is his right under the collective bargaining agreement, and he does not have a right to independent arbitration. Roger Goodell has the choice as to what to do. He can serve as the arbitrator, and it so far appears that he's going to do that in spite of the fact that the Players Association has said that he may be called as a witness. Uh, the, the league is unwilling, you know, at least Goodell is unwilling to step aside because of concern of precedent, that if he steps aside here, that would create an incentive for players in future appeals to call Goodell as a witness to sort of knock him off the, the uh, position right. of being the arbitrator. So we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, there will be a hearing, and during the hearing they'll sit at a round table. Uh, Brady will be there. The commissioner will certainly be there. Troy Vincent will be there. They all will speak at some point. Brady's lawyers will play an active role. The NFL will have their lawyers there. I imagine Jeffrey Pash, their general counsel, will be there. Brady doesn't have to turn over his phone. Brady doesn't have to really do anything beyond that he's already done. The problem is that if he isn't, you could say, more cooperative, the commissioner may not have a reason to reduce the suspension or eliminate it. So you actually bring up an interesting issue that I've been sort of talking to offline with my brother as a federal prosecutor, some of my other friends that are in the, the legal profession, and brought up this idea of de novo, um, taking myself way back to, to sort of my, my college days when I was pre-law, uh, this, this idea of whether or not the appeals process is actually a fresh start. If this is actually a review of the initial facts, which would be a de novo appeals ruling, 
or is Roger Goodell, as I think he sort of intimated in his press conference down at the owners meeting, really taking this as I'll offer new, any new information you're able to come, but he's not going to be reviewing sort of the performance of the original judgment. How, what's your take on that, Mike? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's going to be the latter and it's an arbitration. So the arbitrator doesn't have to apply a specific standard of review unless it's agreed upon. And the CBA doesn't indicate that the commissioner is barred from treating new information with significance or discarding it. He really has a great deal of discretion. And, and you could argue this is somewhat the fault of the, the players association that they agreed to the system where it's, it's openly in favor of the league. There's no question about it. The commissioner can't be neutral. He's the commissioner of the league. And although he didn't technically issue the suspension, Troy Vincent did. The press release that went along with the suspension by Vincent noted that, that it was done in discussion with the commissioner. So the commissioner is a party to the original suspension. Right. So what he'll, you know, what he'll do is he'll, I imagine, he'll, he's not a lawyer, and, and I'm a lawyer. I don't mean to be biased in favor of lawyers, but he doesn't have the, the legal training to really look at evidence and study its significance in a way that, that a lawyer might. So I think he'll just treat it as a discussion. That's my gut. He'll just go in there and hear what Brady has to say and, and look at him and decide, you know, if, he, if Brady seems apologetic, maybe he'll reduce the suspension to two games. If Brady admits to some misconduct, maybe he'll, maybe he'll tell Brady in so many words, if you admit to it, I'll knock it down to a fine. I mean, it's really up to Goodell, but my guess is that Brady is going to, is going to have the same response. He's going to say he didn't do anything wrong, that the text messages have nothing to do about uh, this masterminding a plan to deflate footballs, that it was really about his preference for how the ball feels, and he didn't intend for the balls to be slightly under the, the required PSI. So I think Brady's just going to say, you know, do what you want, but I'm not admitting to anything wrong, and I've done nothing wrong. One of the things that I found kind of unusual is I was actually wrote on this today on footballbyfootball.com, and I was trying to sort of retrace where some of these standards had come into effect. We obviously know that Spygate happened um, 2007, whatever it was. Uh, the issues with Bountygate that came after, and much of that was vacated when Paul Tagliabue stepped in. We had a personal conduct policy that dates back to, I think Pac-Man Jones might have even been the first that, that took a ruling under that, and that was Goodell's baby. Uh, but since this Ray Rice thing and all the, the turmoil with Adrian Peterson and those kind of things from this last year, in December of 2014, they, they cobbled together this new expanded uh, personal conduct policy. So, and I have no, I, as I was going back through the old policies and the collective bargaining agreement itself, and, and that actually includes uh, Article 46, which is really where most of the commissioner's powers in these appeals, I believe, come from. Uh, but that's the first notice uh, of this phrase full cooperation that I could find. It's in the new document. It isn't in the initial. Is there any way that, that the PA can poke holes at that? This is sort of maybe capriciously introduced as new language, some new standard uh, where full cooperation isn't even really defined. I mean, phones and things like that aren't, aren't, aren't in the language. Uh, is, is, that, is that an angle that the PA and Kessler might be able to take? Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. It, it absolutely is because the, the union has stressed that this new collective bargaining, this new personal conduct policy wasn't collectively bargained, that the league announced it right. without, from what we can tell, the participation of the union. And, and certainly, even if the union participated, they didn't assent to it in a formal sense. So the union could say that this is not, because it wasn't born through collective bargaining, it's not exempt from antitrust scrutiny. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think that's a very good point. I think 
the Players Association could say, you are judging Brady against a standard that wasn't collectively bargained. Now, the league may say, we use the same standard with Brett Favre, where we said he was uncooperative in terms of turning over his phone when he was with the Jets, but then the Kessler could say, okay, fine, then go suspend, can go find Brady $50,000, don't suspend him for four games. So it could be an interesting exchange during the arbitration. But, you know, the, 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 the reality is that Goodell is the one that's going to decide what to do with this information. Right, and uh, you bring up a good point. I think you actually you touched on this in your column as well. I mean, in the event that it's you, you're convincing him to, to rule against his own previous ruling, essentially, even if it's just his hands on Troy's shoulders. Um, so in the event that the appeal fails, let's go to that because I know you have to run here quickly. So sort of last question, could you map out what the options are after you've touched on the national relation, national labor relations board idea. That's where Adrian Peterson went to get his, uh, overturned federal arbitration. And another option. Could you just explain to us who don't have that legal background, exactly what this might look like if, if the appeal doesn't go Tom Brady's way, what are his other options? Yeah. I mean, there are different options that could, could take place. One is the Jonathan Vilma approach, which is to sue the league for defamation, arguing that, what's said about him in the Wells report and what Troy Vincent has said about him in his letter to Brady is untrue and it's damaged his reputation. Brady could point out evidence that his endorsement potential has gone down so he could evidence the harm by looking at his damages. That's probably not the strategy he's going to pursue because he's a public figure. He has to show actual malice. He'd have to show that the NFL either intentionally or knowingly lied about him. Really hard to show that. But it was a strategy that Vilma used right. in winning court, but it, but it helped him have the suspension overturned. So that's one possibility. I, I think my guess is the most likely scenario, either first or, or shortly thereafter, whatever he does first, would be to petition a court for a restraining order. The petition there would be to go to federal court and, a, and ask a judge, we, I ask you, judge, to restrain the NFL from carrying out the suspension, that the suspension is going to cause, cause me irreparable harm, I'm never going to be able to play in those four games again. My employer will be hurt because I won't be able to play. That that would be the justice that he wants, which is the elimination of the suspension. That, that's a possibility. He could also file a lawsuit under antitrust law for damages. He could go to the NLRB, and he may be required to go to the NLRB depending upon what kind of claims he wants to bring up. So he has a number of options, Matt, on the table. I think to me the question is going to be, does he want to go through that? Does he really, you know, is, does he have that litigious quality to him? Does he, you know, is he better off just saying the NFL is wrong and going along with it? Or does he want to spend what could be a considerable amount of time in court as Adrian Peterson has been and to a lesser extent Ray Rice has been? And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you know Tom Brady, so you, you would know, you know what, he, what, he, what he wants. I mean, what, what, how does he want to spend his time um, Maybe, maybe, and the reality is that if he goes to litigation and he wins, he's going to take a beating along the way. He's going to have to go to court. He's going to have to, you know, have people criticizing him for filing a lawsuit. And I just don't know what what his tolerance level is for going through the legal process to have four games um, either eliminated or reduced. And I and I think there's a pretty good chance Goodell's just going to cut it to two games and hope that Brady just accepts it. I gotcha. Okay, well, I'm curious on the actual malice point. Uh, obviously, I think defamation, as you mentioned, is probably a an outside chance, but I'm curious because of the leaks being out there and them most likely originating in the league office, they were they were they were sourced as league leaks, league official leaks, and Goodell's public statements during the Super Bowl week where 
he referenced the importance of truth, the importance of finding truth without correcting those and being aware of them. And then you get the exchanges between Jeffrey Pash counsel and then Goldberg and, and they're acknowledging that they're out there and not doing them. I wonder if sort of that indifference or almost recklessness with the elite, you know, the intentionally, uh, inaccurate information might rise to that level of malice, but it's, it's a long shot, but you get Goodell on the stand. I, I wrote about this today. I'm curious that he now has this this policy, this this personal conduct policy, and there are specific clauses in there that help hold uh, the the league officials to a higher standard, even so much as the players. How what is then the process to bring him sort of the task on those things? Does it just come to fruition after testimony and appeal for the player? There, it appears that there's no formal process to bring him forth on those things. So there's, I, I don't know if the PA, how the PA brings charges that he's violated conduct detrimental himself. Do you, do you see thing any anything in any of that language, or does it just simply have to arise from these other pieces of litigation? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter, and I say that because even if the Players Association can prove that Goodell is at fault for his own policies, the Players Association doesn't have the legal right to enforce those rules. That it, it right. really would be incumbent upon the owners to fire Goodell or issue a vote of no confidence, and the Players Association would have to you know, essentially plead with the owners to do so. The Players Association, if they really had conclusive proof that Goodell was in violation with his own policies, could seek intervention by the National Labor Relations Board and basically say this bargaining relationship is doomed because the head of the management side is in violation of, of his own rules. Now, that's a tricky argument, and that could end up in federal court, um, but you know, that's one possibility. I, I think the most likely outcome is that the, the Players Association tries to really discredit Goodell and and uh, DeMaury Smith sort of did that in his press conference where he said, or at least his interview on Outside the Lines, where he, he said that Goodell has a credibility gap. But, you know, at the end of the day, Matt, it, I don't know if any of this matters on some level because when the next collective bargaining dispute happens and there's a lockout, are the players going to expend any energy and time dealing with these issues of personal conduct and treating owners differently than players? I mean, it, right. it seems as if these issues take a back seat and money takes all the attention when push comes to show. It's a good point, Michael. Hey buddy, I know you got to run. So thank you so much for giving us your time and uh, some insight that uh, the meatheads here wouldn't be able to provide. <laughs> hey Matt, anytime. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Take care. All right, Ben. So there's a lot on the bone there. We got a lot to sort of digest and he went down a lot, of, a lot of different Avenues I wasn't expecting, but I like that. Uh, you obviously have some experience with the NFLPA when you were a player. Uh, just give me sort of your perspective, maybe some backside information on exactly what's going to go down in this and appeal, what Tom should expect, what sort of support the NFLPA is going to be providing. <laughs> well, you guys, uh, I don't know. I got I got to check my my credentials here when I'm doing this podcast. You guys are super smart <laughs> with all sorts of. You know, law degrees and, you know, pre-law and all that stuff. <laughs> My goodness. All right, so here's what I can tell you. He better, um, he better bring his checkbook. You know, I I know that the NFLPA is going to okay. have some things. But, you know, I guess my question then is who does pay if, if this appeal falls through and he does have the options for defamation, gets the restraining order, sues for antitrust uh, litigation and violations, 
who pays for that? I don't know if the NFLPA and Jeffrey Kessler and his group are going to back all that through. If that's if that's the case where they, right. they don't support him 100% financially, then what's it worth to Tom? You know, what what is it worth? He's losing, you know, almost two million and change, just under two million for the four games. You know, his legal fees to fight something like this, and you guys said it. It's some of these are long shots, and is his reputation right. and everything worth it? When, in my estimation, and you guys know it right there in the New England area, it seems like it doesn't matter. Once once all this gets thrown out, and let's say we stretch this out for six months into a year, let's say it goes into the next offseason, nobody's going to care. Nobody's really going to care if the truth right. finally comes out and Tom Brady somehow wins one of these three options that we talk about. I think people are just going to move on. And so I don't know if it's worth his time and his money to fight this thing. I think it's a valid point. I think that's probably something they're considering. I could say as a, as a friend and teammate, it's not we're not asking legal strategy. <laughs> we're just offering support. So it, it is, and Michael actually brought this up. It's sort of your appetite for litigation. Like how badly do you want to fight this? Uh, I think the one thing in the back of my head that I know Tom, you know, he, he smiles for the camera and he has sort of that aw shucks kind of thing in some of his things, public statements, but he is fiery as all hell. I think you got to see some of it from Big Tom, from his dad, when he came out with the the Framegate stuff, and I, I really like that brand. But you know, just the idea that <laughs> there's some fight there. You heard it from Don Yee. There, there's some fight. They're not. They're they're unhappy because I think, again, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth, but just sort of surmising the feel anyway. That this is legacy stuff, and you know, even with the NFL.com coming out with a, a column reviewing this year's quarterbacks, I think this just happened a day or two ago. And they're already dropping him down the list and putting asterisks next to his name. And that stuff, I mean, this guy's already got four Super Bowl championships. He's one of the best ever, arguably. I mean, he's right there. And this stuff, I actually know of a, of a, of a Hall of Fame voter who's already said that he's reconsidering. The guy's also wow. a, a Heisman voter as well. And that that just struck me as, what? Are you out of your mind? And So it's the crazy segment, but they exist and they're out there that will hold things like that over his head where I won't be surprised if he goes to the mat trying to exonerate himself. You're right. There's, but there's definitely that percent of the population that, you know, when, when the Mort report came thing, came out that they were two pounds under, that's all they needed to know. And we're moving on Patriots or cheaters, you know, but right. there's I, enough I out there that is sort of legacy tarnishing. That might just be too much. So who knows? Well, and I guess you're, you're in the thick of it and you're actually talking to people. I guess my, my whole thing, impression of it was it, it was an average of what um, a pound and a half on average of these balls were underinflated. So, you know, some were just a few ticks under the normal and you could kind of justify maybe it was the weather, maybe it was a, a faulty needles, what, whatever it was. Yes, he was under. Do I personally think that, you know, he knew about it? Yes. But I guess I was in the, under the impression that like this did not help him win football games. This did not help him pass for, X thousands of more yards. This did not help his efficiency. This did not help his, help his leadership. I don't think this should be an asterisk by any stretch of the imagination next to his name, his legacy, the Patriots' legacy. Um, and that's just me. And, and I know that there are people that probably want to hate just to hate. You know, they're, they're waiting for something uh, in the Patriots' organization to fall so they can pounce on it. And there are those people. But I was in the impression that right. collectively people were – 
even the voters would just look, kind of look at this like, well, he got caught kind of, you know, trying to find a competitive advantage, uh, which a lot of a lot of people do. Uh, to me, it was a minor offense, and we move on. And and I hope that it doesn't tarnish his legacy because I think it would just be absurd. And I, then I think people are are going out of their way to make his life miserable. And I hope that doesn't happen. I'm right there with you as far as hoping that doesn't happen. I, I just, I guess the part in the back of my head is is a lack of distrust, <laughs> both with the NFL and both of the way sort of stories are are framed years later. I personally, having gone through Spygate, not on the team, I was actually on the Jets at the time, staring across the field at that camera, and yeah. I get exactly what it was. It was a violation of of a memo, uh, something that, in my view. The, the, the Patriots were wrong to continue to sort of play chicken with with Goodell, but I understand you can you can record from all over the stadium. The issue is just you can't stand there and do it. So it was more about defiance than it was some advantage they were getting. I mean, basically it was administratively shortcutting having to go, you know, watch them with binoculars or and handwrite the signals that they were making. It just sort of expediates the time when you're doing the breaking down of film later. So it was minor. It got blown up. It got branded spying. I mean, I don't know how you spy in front of 80,000 people, but I guess it's that distrust of how things get framed and misremembered 10 years later that kind of makes guys say, I got to take this thing all the way, especially in times we were, I, I, the, the, the report scientifically to me proves that it didn't happen. So there's that, that's what I think they're about to fight in appeals. But Hey, one thing I wanted to get in with you, just, just more out of curiosity, because you can maybe give me some sense of how sort of the PA fights for certain things, how they come to certain conclusions, how things come about. Um, one of the deals that keeps popping up in all of Goodell's comments recently, Troy Vincent's comments, it's almost kind of scripted. And D Smith actually referenced this in his, his, uh, his thing here with Bob Lee. He mentioned he, he went at the independence. He made a comment about, you know, that it it isn't independent just because you slap your name on it. Um, but for whatever reason, both Troy and Roger Goodell, in all of their statements, public statements that feel awfully prepared, they keep hitting on that word. They keep mentioning the independent, the independent, the independent. They also keep mentioning the word uniform, which to me is like dangerous. Like I, I'd, I'd rather de-emphasize the idea that this is what we always do because people know you don't. There was the Minnesota Vikings thing with the heating them on the sideline, which to me is whatever. I don't care. You know, I, I don't mind the NFL's response in that if they hadn't then overreacted on this one. So I, I don't. I, what I don't understand is why the NFL is going out of their way to create these narratives that are really easily disprovable because that shouldn't be what they base their argument on. But I'm curious, from a guy who was a PA member, what what is sort of the line of attack? What what does the union do now? I mean, how how do they get it to where we can hold them responsible, regardless of whether you care about Tom Brady, the Patriots, any of that? If this was the quarterback for the Chiefs how does the union sort of make the case for that guy so that the next guy doesn't get it as well? Well, I think they're, they're using the word independent to try to satisfy the NFLPA and, and DeMora Smith and, and the rest of all the ambassadors and, and leaders as far as players go that, hey, I know that you guys wanted, you know, third-party arbitration. You wanted a lot of the on-field and off-the-field discipline to be handled by somebody else. This is our best attempt to say that we're not doing the investigation and, and we are completely separated from this process. The problem then becomes when very quickly people have already connected the dots behind the law firms that's, that's behind this Ted Wells investigation that they are connected. 
They do receive funds from the NFL. They are more on the NFL side than the NFLPA side. And you can throw out any sort of semantic word that you want, independent, you know, doing this uniformly. Um, but the point is, there is a connection. If you truly want this to be an independent investigation, then both sides have to come together and they have to find a third party that has zero connection, has zero bias and zero angles. And that didn't happen. So it, like you said, if this happened to a Kansas City quarterback that you know, was not Tom Brady and you know, maybe didn't have this whole magnitude of this game, then you would attack it from just the pure player's rights. And those seem to be somewhat violated throughout the process. And I can tell you that players were upset when we were in D. Smith's office. Um, we all get called in. We all got flown in um, on the eve of signing the new CBA in 2011. He kind of went through everything. He said, listen, guys, I brought you all here together. We're getting this deal done. We have a few things to kind of shore up before we send this thing over to passion everybody at the NFL and, 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 Let's do our due diligence to get this thing done. So here's where we were. And he goes through all these, all these points. And somebody, I forget who, who it is, brings up the, hey, what about the, the area of discipline? You know, we were, this is an area that we're fighting for tooth and nail to get Roger Goodell away from the disciplinary process. And he, he flat out said, guys, we can't touch that. You know, that's been non-negotiable this whole time. We've tried, wow. but Goodell's not good. Goodell's not moving off his stance. And it was, the way I took it was, we lost that battle, let's move on. Let's move on, let's just move on to getting you guys back to work. Let's move on to, to dotting these I's and crossing right. the T's on, on these other topics. And I know a lot of guys are looking around like, what the hell? What the hell just happened? Like, we are getting steamrolled right. by the NFL and a little bit by the NFLPA as well. And I know there's a lot of guys that are kind of reluctant to sign that deal, but you know, when it comes down to the 11th hour and you know, guys do want to go back to work and there are, at the time, a lot of good strides that we had made, um, even DeMora Smith kind of flipped everything around and said, like, yeah, but guys, look at the pauses, look at the offseason, look at this, and, and look at this bigger, you know, you look at the revenue projections, and, you know, even though we got a little smaller piece of this, this all revenue and total revenue and all this jargon, you know, we're going to make more money, I promise you guys. And, and that's how everything was spun. And here we are again and haven't been a part of that. You know, I'm ashamed that I didn't raise my voice up. And I know other guys are ashamed that we didn't say, this has, this has to change when it comes to player discipline. And it didn't. And, you know, until this thing runs out and we re renegotiate, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, that's it's an interesting insight. It, it's something that I would probably concede as a guy who didn't get involved in the PA, but that I, I guess I'm a, I'm, I'm supportive because we need them and we need them to do their job well. Uh, but I was a little more arm's length when it was Gene before. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at that situation and hearing you say that and I'm thinking, okay, maybe that is a fight that just through straight negotiation is unwinnable. It's something he's not going to move off of, but you need cases like the Ray Rice where, you know, where the judge comes in and just simply says, yeah, that, you know, we're vacating that. I don't buy your version of the story. You need the, the Missouri Supreme Court case where they come in and say, yeah, you cannot serve as, as an unbiased 
judge in this thing because you aren't. You're biased. And uh, right. I wonder if it's going if, if the avenues of negotiation just simply won't be the way to get it. You'll have to get it through litigation. You'll have to have enough of these things vacated, turned away to force them to sort of figure out a better way. Uh, well, I don't I don't know if you're aware of this. I was digging through the CBA here in the last in the last day or so. The, they split costs on arbitration in other things, like you know, other gre- other areas of grievance. But oddly enough, in this one, they don't. So, you know, and that they were using sort of the idea of cost as what proved the independence. We're the one paying for Ted Wells. Ergo, it's an, it's independent. But there are other areas where the PA and the league actually split costs when they bring forth. I don't know if it's the injury grievances or some of the other sort of grievances that are allowed for in there. So it's weird that. I don't know. I, I feel like this is something that's getting chipped away at. And a guy like Tom Brady, much as he was on the on the old suit where he was basically the face of it, uh, might be enough to sort of force the hand. Because like you mentioned, it, it, it might just not be realistic through sort of, of table negotiations. Well, I, I would say that I think a good place to start is you do find that line in the sand where, all right, these sort of issues are direct competitive on-the-field issues that in all fairness, I do believe the commissioner of the NFL has every right to um, stand as, as the judge in a lot of these situations that happen on the field. I mean, that's kind of your job. You, yes, you negotiate TV contracts and you, you have the, uh, your best intentions for the NFL, but this, you are the commissioner of the NFL for a reason. So these things, yes, I'm, I'm okay with, with you having a hand in. Now, when it comes to off-the-field stuff, you know, all the things that happen off the field, you get in trouble at a, at a nightclub, you get a DUI, you get, uh, you know, accused of domestic violence. Those things, I feel like, hey, that's third party stuff, you know, and I, and I really think that it should be set up to where everybody can wash their hands of it. And we look at the Ray Rice and the Adrian Peterson situations, the NFL got dirtied really quickly for the way they handled it because they didn't set up a system to let somebody else handle these sort of things. So if they want to go back in the next CBA and, and say, right. look at these two cases, look at these two high-profile cases, along with Greg Hardy, you know, we really could have made ourselves look a lot better if we had, if we jointly paid, just like you were talking about, jointly paid for a third party to overview these things and hand out the necessary punishment per whatever negotiation we have set out for the, for the punishment guidelines and have them rule then we can wash our hands as far as players. The NFL can wash their hands and say, this is what we collectively bargained for, and we're now going to pass the buck and defer to the third party for these sort of things. I think it it makes the most sense, and I think that's how we slowly chip away at Roger Goodell having the ultimate power where he can rule on both sides of the fence. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how – and I actually kind of agree with you that the commissioner should be ruling on these things – but I just think that there needs to be a way to review him as well. I mean, it's just, it's sort of that rule of law thing that exists outside the NFL in life. Like you have to be able to make sure that he's not being arbitrary. And I, I would point to the San Diego Chargers thing where they had the, you know, the stick them on the towel. Again, it's not a federal case, but it happened and they got fined $25,000. Uh, you know, they have the Vikings thing recently where, you know, nothing happens. Again, I, I don't care that much, to be perfectly honest with you, but it shows arbitrariness. It shows that there is no real rule of law. If you're going to be capricious and you're going to be 
that guy, well, then all of a sudden you're not white as the driven snow and we got to look at you as well. And, and that's why I think this, this case is a little bit weird. I mean, I don't think every other case we're going to get from here on out is going to have, is going to require a 243 page document, but because this smells of a sting operation from league officials specifically, it's not just, you know, something that was noticed on the field that, you know, the world saw on TV and it had to be looked at. I mean, this is something that was happening in the hallways at, at Patriot place at Gillette there. And it's league officials doing it. It's league officials doing the investigation. It's it's requiring the testimony of league officials, whether or not they're being truthful. It's leaks from Roger's office. I mean, so I know he's going to have to rule on stuff. But, man, the idea that there's no way to review this dude is scary to me. But um, I, I do understand sort of the, the quandary you guys have about how to figure out how the hell to make it happen because it's not very obvious. That's why I'm, I guess, kind of half banking and that an outside source will be able to pull it off. But, uh, hey, we're going to wrap the show here anyhow. But, uh, Ben, awesome time, dude. Appreciate you so much for uh, checking in. Say hey to your brother Jason for me. And uh, we're going to go. That's all today's podcast. The FBF podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. Or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the Football by Football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online. And if you don't already, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.